1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou
2: Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great America Show. There's rising concern among many Americans that our two-party political system has become the problem rather than the solution. How do many of us explain the mental state of our president, who seems often confused and bewildered to the point he sometimes needs help to enter a room or leave it? One day denies he has a plan to give illegal immigrants more than four times as much money as the federal government would give to the families of service members killed in combat how do any of us explain the republican party that has campaigned against socialism for decades and then 13 house republicans give president biden the votes needed to pass his runaway spending plan a question now will republicans ever challenge an impaired but obviously committed radical dim by the name of biden And why is the Republican Party tolerating the big tech and social media assault on the Republican Party itself and on many of our basic freedoms? Journalist, author, and documentarian Lee Smith understands partisan politics and the deep state's ever-expanding power better than almost any journalist now working. Lee Smith is the best-selling author of The Plot Against the President the story of the biggest political scandal in U.S. history, made into a documentary directed by Amanda Millis. Lee is a veteran journalist working for 30 years covering politics, foreign policy, and even media. And now, as promised, here is Lee Smith. Lee, great to have you with us here. And uh, as always, uh, you're a great American. Uh, The service you do for this great nation is remarkable uh, and, and the country's in your debt. So we're doubly honored that you're here with us today. Uh, let's let's begin, if we may, with
0: what in well, the I, world. I just want to say, Lou, that was sure. that's such, such a kind introduction. And um, it's really, I mean, it's really an honor that you invited me on your new podcast. And I wish you all uh, all great success with it. And I know it's it's not only going to be a great success for you, but for all of us who've been depending on your voice for all these many years and, and for the country as a whole. So again,
2: thanks so much for having me on and congratulations. This is so exciting. Well, thank you. And thank you for those generous words. Uh, I, I want to begin with the nation's capital itself. Yeah. Uh, the Biden agenda is unfurling. The Biden approval ratings are disapproval ratings uh, down to 42%. Mm -hmm. More than more than 70 percent of the country in the most recent polling says this country is headed in the wrong direction. But we have political prisoners being held in Mm -hmm. cells in Washington, D.C., without comment, uh, without action by the Republican Party or by law enforcement or courts. I want I want to get Lee Smith's view of the capital of the United States Mm -hmm. itself today. 2021
0: yeah Yeah, i mean the way that i've seen this for i mean i've seen since the covid lockdowns and then with the george floyd riots the way that i've seen it is i've seen that um that uh the progressive elites the oligarchy however uh in whatever ways you want to understand them or describe them they've been running a campaign of desecration against against the united states i mean against american symbols uh, whether it's the flag or whether it's different monuments, now we see they've removed Thomas Jefferson's statue from uh, from New York um, from New York City. Uh, the desecration of the flag, the desecration of American holidays, uh, July Fourth, and it's a campaign of desecration and demoralization. And I think this is part of what we're seeing here. So, in addition to the various uh, various uh, various destructive policies. We're also seeing a larger thrust. Um, it's a campaign of, of, of psychological warfare. And this is, what, this is what occupying powers do to destroy the countries, the nations, the people that they've occupied. So frankly, that's how I understand it, that this is an occupation regime that is not governing on behalf of American citizens. And we've seen this from the, uh, from the beginning of the, uh, the Biden administration. The first thing they do is, they turn off the Keystone pipeline and, and, and the results are not surprising. It's not only the price of gas that's going up, but everything else. So again, that's how I see it, not just in terms of policy, but in terms of a campaign of psychological warfare against at least half the country.
2: That psychological warfare is kinetic, if you will, because we are watching a lot of Americans millions of Americans who can't afford to see gas prices rise much beyond this level, uh, that can't afford hyperinflation. We're approaching in some cases, double digits depending on the index or the the measure or gauge that uh, the economists or the federal reserve wants to use. But these numbers are getting significant. And by significant, I mean capable of really disrupting the economy and dislocating the lives of millions of Americans. And and right now, the Republican Party is entertaining Joe Biden's demand for that $1.75 trillion spending bill. And this is a man who is visibly impaired, he is visibly frail, and he is visibly confused as a leader, and in many ways, simply lost your thoughts.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that this is, this is terrible. And and I think that we're not just talking about the uh, America first movement, America, American patriots or Republicans. I think that a lot of the country right now, a lot of the country right now sees that their only political instrument is the Republican party, like it or not, it's the only political instrument that we have. I mean, and the fact that they've stepped aside um, the fact that many of these things, the fact that many of these things have happened and oftentimes without a protest or something more like a chuckle, I mean, and, and we can understand what the political strategy must be. It's something like, well, let Biden and the Democrats run the country into the ground. And by midterms, 2022, the American people, they, they, they won't even be looking at our track record. All they'll need is to know that we're, if we're the option to Biden. That's all they have. It's 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 disgraceful because I mean as a political strategy, of course, it will work. And you see them looking at polls. You see them talking about polls. You see them talking about the destruction that Biden is causing. But where are the necessary, where are the necessary interventions? Why won't they even stand up for important things like the January 6th detainees? We have political prisoners now in this country, and the Republican Party is nowhere to be found on this
2: it it is truly stunning is it not to think that the biden administration is getting away with what you style as psychological warfare it is certainly warfare on american institutions and the opposing political party in this instance the republican party and we can argue about the degree to which it, has, it successfully opposes the Biden administration yeah. and the fascist left in this country, uh, they seem uh, inert uh, and defeat when trying to deal with those challenges, but to not even raise a hand of protest against detaining right. American citizens, many of whom have not been charged yet, and none of whom, as of the last, uh, my last and best information, has been charged with quote-unquote insurrection
0: right none of right none of these cases none of the none of these cases can possibly match the insane rhetoric that's been coming out of the u.s attorney's office uh in in washington dc that has been coming out of the press because the whole idea that it was an insurrection or that it's sedition is absolute nonsense and the more video and the more actual reporting we have regarding January 6th and the aftermath and the involvement of american intelligence services now we're getting a much better picture of the things that are going on and again the fact that uh, the, the 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 fact that the republican party will not step up to even defend their own base people who went out there in support of the republican president I, I mean, it, it's, abs- it's absolutely amazing. I, I, th- there's, one, there's another way that I think, though, in addition to protests, there's another way I think that well, certainly political officials uh, are political officials, but also d- other leaders as well. I think it's possible for people to take leadership positions by encouraging the American people. Again, if this is a campaign of demoralization and desecration, the way to fight back is to say what they're doing is terrible. But believe me, this is a strong, powerful country. We are a great nation. We're a great people. And and we have just begun to fight. And we are going to get through this together because this nation is resilient. This nation is beautiful. Look at the people who are standing up now, whether they're airline pilots or whether they're doctors and nurses or New York City firefighters, New York City policemen. They're all fighting against the authoritarian strictures of this insane regime. And what a beautiful country and what a beautiful people. And we're all going to fight this together. That's the other thing I think we need to hear. We need to hear this message of unity. We need to hear a message of hopefulness because if their campaign is to demoralize and distress Americans, then where's the encouragement? We need to get out there and start speaking on behalf of the American people remind them of who they are, remind them of the things we've gone through together and the accomplishments, our achievements, and what we will continue to do in the future.
2: Yeah, Uh, Lee, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, By the way, this new podcast of ours is called The Great America Show for a reason. This nation is great. And I know that President Trump, who is a friend and whom I support fully uh, uh, over the course of years, I know he wants to make a slogan now of make America great again. But I truly believe that what he achieved has reestablished our greatness. And I, and I applaud what you're saying, because this country is great. And we're going to remind everyone who joins this podcast, uh, everyone in this audience, of that fact every day. This is not a time for, for any, any patriot in this country. To give up on our future, right. to give up on those patriots who need, need our help, and right. not to accept the fascist left and their nonsense, their irrationality, and their absurdity uh, right. as acceptable political uh, uh, constructs that somehow would challenge the founding values of the greatest Democratic Republic in history. Right
0: you see the different responses that are being forced by their campaign of of demoralization and desecration. And the responses are what? The responses are, oh, it looks like we're gonna fall into a civil war. It looks like maybe we need a big national divorce and we need to split and do this and that. Like, No, we have to remember, it's a very small fraction. We're not talking about about 75 million Democrats. Yes, a lot of them are lunatics, but we're speaking about a very small percentage of people Most people in this country don't want to break. Right. Most people in this country can and will find a way, as we have in the past, to embrace each other and to have decent arguments about the direction our country is going in, which should be worked out through elections. So they're forcing people on our side to come up with extreme ideas and they're forcing them into they're forcing them into terrible psychological and intellectual states we need to be calm we need to be clear we need to project confidence because that's who the american people are these are people who have walked through fire we are a people who have walked through fire for 250 years and so what if we're doing it again what a blessing that we are people who are chosen to live through this time and guide our country through this period what an amazing thing and what an amazing
2: show and what uh, an amazing uh, challenge we face, uh, all the more so because of what we confront in big tech, the, uh, the efforts of big tech uh, to establish an authoritarian presence that would command our American society, uh, American values, our culture, uh, and with social media, decide which voices are to be heard and which voices silenced? And right. you recently wrote, I just think a, a, a terrific article on the Facebook oh, very much. whistleblower op. Uh, it uh, publication date November first, uh, and I recommend it to everyone in Tablet Mag, and I'm sure available across uh, the entire uh, web by now. Uh, it, it, the idea that Facebook, or should I say Meta, today uh, right, could yeah. <laughs> could actually carry off an extraordinary, in my opinion, uh, PSYOPs operation mm-hmm. uh, with a, a whistleblower and succeed even as she appears right. before the United States uh, Congress and Senate. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's stunning stuff. And for the national news right. media to miss much of what you reported In your article, I I want your thoughts first on the the power of Facebook and what you are witnessing, what we're all witnessing today.
0: Well, I mean, you know what the astonishing thing was that her her, her Senate testimony and one of the points I make is that, I mean, of all the people in the of of all the billions of Facebook users across the world. Some of the the, the the members of the Republican Senate might have known that Facebook is not for young people. So her whole thing about protecting teenagers and protecting kids is nonsense. It's used by old people and that's what older people. And that's why there's so much uh, engagement with conservative news and conservative reports on Facebook. So she, this woman, Frances Hagen, is at the head of an operation, to attack what is now, at any way, at any rate, the uh, virtually the hub of conservative communications. That's not by choice, of course. It's not like Mark Zuckerberg is a conservative or he's interested mm-hmm. uh, in America First News. It just happens to be their financial model. But Zuckerberg's peers want to shut this down in preparation for elections. This has been their game. This has been their campaign for many years now to censor news, to censor information that is damaging to the Democratic Party, censor information that is, um, that is important for American voters to have, whether it's about Hunter Biden's laptop, whether, um, whether it's about the nonsense of the Russiagate operation. It's again what we've seen again since at least 2016 is a series of information operations, psychological warfare waged against Donald Trump, Donald Trump um, aides, cabinet members, and Donald Trump supporters. The Facebook okay. operation is in that, as part of that series of information operations run against Trump, his
2: supporters, and the American public. And and everyone listening uh, to our voices should not mistake uh, uh, the, uh, the result of what Lee's talking about. It was success. It's a successful operation. Yeah. Facebook has pulled off an extraordinary PR pivot, uh, renaming the company itself, staying with the name Facebook, but basically incorporating uh, this whistleblower, Francis Hagen, And her claims about the need to protect young people, and what is, as Lee points out, demographically oriented uh, to older uh, people, older demographics, and with that, uh, there's sort of a, a, if you will, a washing of hands, and a a expression of concern about young people and protecting them, and meanwhile, ignoring what has been psychological warfare, information warfare and control of dissent within Facebook itself uh, and users, conservative users, have been the victims yeah. throughout. Fair statement? Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to,
0: uh, I mean, again, they're trying to shut us up. They're trying to, and if you look, I mean, one of the things I talk about in that article is a Pew Research poll, I believe, from August. And they 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 poll Democrats, 70, 76% of whom Believe that so, that um, big tech should be cens- should be engaging in censorship, even if that stems the flow of legitimate information. So we're, I mean it's amazing what I refer to as the Obama faction. The Obama faction actually believes in censorship. So th- this is this is an enormous problem that we have to face. And another thing that we have to do is I I, I think we have to teach we have to teach people how to understand what we used to call the news media that now it's a platform for operations to promote yep. uh, to promote the interests of the progressive elite which means targeting the rest of the country so there's there's a, there's a lot of important uh, a lot of important and, and vital work for us to do in the in the coming years
2: and i realize for some Uh, In in the audience, this may be heavy going because there are details, but they're important details. And if you'll be patient with us, because uh, Lee Smith puts together a a level of connection amongst those elites to which he is referring, to whom he's referring. uh, And I think draws a bright, bold diagram. Talk about Bill Burton, the person who is driving, who was driving. Uh, this yeah. particular uh, part of the element, the uh, if you will, the uh, incestuous relationship back to the Democratic Party to the fascist mm-hmm. left and oh yes, mm-hmm. we can even bring in, as you did, uh, our mm-hmm. our good uh, <laughs> left-wing friends, Eric Holder and one Barack right. Obama. Barack Obama right the what to me the most interesting
0: thing, about this Facebook whistleblower operation, as, as we're calling it, is um, is that it help illuminates a lot of other operations that have been run the last five years, right? So Bill Burton's former uh, Obama White House deputy uh, press secretary, right now he's running a large uh, Democrat-linked consultancy out of Washington D.C. His wife works with Eric Holder. Right. Eric Holder is, uh, was, was Obama's, uh, shield bearer. What what did he call himself? His wingman. Mm -hmm. Right. But we see all these different people as part of this operation. And again, they're targeting, they're targeting conservatives. They're targeting, uh, American patriots, the America first movement, uh, that that's who they're going after. This has been going on again since 2016. So we see Barack Obama and Eric Holder show up here. Also, uh, Pierre Omidyar, the billionaire founder of eBay. And so again, this is a standard operation for them. Big tech, big tech money, political operatives in a campaign of this is corporate espionage. We've seen other instances of espionage like Christopher Steele with Russiagate. We saw in the first impeachment of uh, President Trump, we saw CIA analyst Eric Cheramella and Alexander Vindman Engaging in a campaign of espionage against Donald Trump, right. so we see all these different
2: from within the White these, House, from within right the White with,
0: House. within the White House. Exactly, they're in they're in the White House. So it, we see all these different elements, and these elements. The more and more we pay attention to them, and and I know you're right. It, it's a little it's a little detailed. It's you know it's a, a, a it, it's a little detailed. But I do hope that readers and and, and that your audience will stick with it. Because it's really important, I think, for us to figure out what's going on. This is actually how, you know, I I worked a lot in the Middle East. I wrote about Middle East affairs and U.S. Middle East policy. And tragically, our press has become like the Arab press, right? It's a platform for information operations run Mm -hmm. by oligarchs and spy services, unfortunately, tragically this is what's happened to our press but it's so important i think for 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 readers to understand this that that's what the press is being used for now so that's why i hope that that readers will look at this piece and and that the more and more elements that are becoming highlighted we understand who's doing what and for what purposes they're using the what was the press to come after us
2: and if as as Lee talks about uh, the Middle East, I have to ask you, at uh, what point in the summer of 2020 yeah. with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. the, uh, the riots that were taking place that were being called protests by Nancy Pelosi, of course, right. uh, at what point did you think this is starting to look like the Arab street, mm-hmm. not Main Street yeah. uh, America? And yeah. it's no accident. It was no accident, right. was it? Right. No, abs- absolutely.
0: I mean, these are, these are in the same way that uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, I lived in Beirut for several years, in the same way that Hezbollah serves the interests of the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's the, you know, it's the long arm of Iran inside of Lebanon. I mean, these different, I mean, BLM and Antifa, these are Democratic Party militias, which was quite clear. I mean, they boasted about it on the Act Blue uh, um, website. They had, uh, you know, they, they, they would direct you to BLM and it went the other way too. Hit the BLM website and takes you to Act Blue. So these are quite clearly Democratic Party militias. And one of the, one of the insane things is if you look at the way that the FBI and DHS have gone after. The January 6th protesters, the way they're holding people for nonviolent offenses, detaining them without bail for months, right? Some of them need medical treatment, and they're not getting this medical treatment, and they're holding these people. Well, they could have gone after Antifa and BLM at least as aggressively. What does it tell us that they haven't gone after them aggressively at all, that many of these cases were dropped all around the country, from Minnesota to Portland to New York? These are the favored assets of the Democratic Party and the uh, the big tech progressive elite money running them. That's that's again this. We are becoming more and more, or our elites rather, are tending more and more toward a uh, <laughs> the third world Arab state.
2: It is the similarities are remarkable, and, and one could not help be but be struck by those similarities and the Arab street-like tone and tenor that uh, was adopted in so many of our particularly Democrat run uh, uh, cities all across the country. Uh, We've seen Black Lives Matter recede here of late. We have seen with President Biden in office, Antifa recede, but still they are there. And still, there is raw, ugly power uh, being expressed against uh, patriots and against American rights and values. Witness the hundreds, the hundreds of January 6th protesters. And I acknowledge some of them may have been criminal in their acts, but not most. And the fact that the Republican Party, if we can conclude with this, is doing nothing. What? What will it take for the Republican Party to decide it must, for the sake of the nation and the republic, stand up and demand that citizens be treated uh, with due process, with respect, uh, and uh, under law?
0: I, I agree that, uh, well, here, here's, I, I think that if people broke the law, whether they committed felonies or misdemeanors, they should be charged as Americans. Right. I I mean, Americans break the law all the time, commit felonies and commit misdemeanors, and they're charged Uh, and they're they're given a trial and they're granted bail. Um, And this has not happened in many of these cases. These people are not being treated like American citizens. They're being treated like domestic terrorists, which is how the Biden administration and the Biden administration's Department of Justice, DHS and FBI wants to treat them, which is which is ridiculous. And so far as the Republican Party not standing up for them, and I certainly hope that in due time that they will decide that this will be, I mean, especially as midterms will be approaching and voters will be wondering, our neighbors are still being detained in a Washington, D.C. jail and they need medical care. What are you doing to help them? I certainly hope that happens. But I think that what has to happen in the meantime, regardless is. This calls on American leadership at every level, right? Not just our political leaders. It also should call on community leaders. It should call on um, it should call on voices like voices like ours for us to speak out against this. And I mean, one of the amazing things we're talking about how great our country is, I mean, we build leadership at every level. Whether it's high school football coaches, whether it's small business community leaders, whether it's religious leaders. So we need Americans generally to speak out against this. If the Republicans are not, if if Republican officials are not going to be an adequate political instrument, then whatever, then it will come down to Americans as it always has. Not necessarily our political leaders, but American leadership generally.
2: Well said. Lee, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to our our next talk. I hope you'll rejoin us soon. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Lou. a great pleasure and honor. Thank you. Thank you. Our politics becoming increasingly complex. The role of corporations in national politics long established. But what is new is the effort of corporate America, at least much of corporate America, to support Marxist ideology, whether it be in the form of Black Lives Matter, or providing support for so-called DEI, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Dr. James Lindsay is a critic of the so-called woke culture that is capturing the imagination of so many in corporate America. He's written a book entitled Race Marxism, soon to be published. Dr. Lindsay joins us now to take up the appropriate responses to DEI and critical race theory in education, the workplace, and government. It is great to have you with us, and how in the world did we get to this point? (laughs) Critical race theory, uh, suddenly uh, ESG is not enough. We've got to have new levels of uh, direction in corporate America from every quarter, it seems uh, the the power structure, the establishment, uh, and the world as we knew it is under attack by what some call Marxism. Uh, how did we
1: get here? Well, there have been three major formula or pieces of the formula, I guess, that got us here. One of those is that this has been brewing in academia for at least 50 years these ideas uh, started in the late 1960s and early 1970s and were being mainstreamed into academia at the time. So the goal was to teach not students, but teachers, future teachers. So to indoctrinate future teachers, to indoctrinate future professors so that they would then spread this idea to more and more and more students. You could say that's operationalizing the field if you want to put it in kind of Marxist language or strategic language. Secondly, there was a gigantic cultural push that cultural push came on the back of what we saw out of academia over the last 50 years after you got enough professionals that went into media that went into law that went into different professional fields all of a sudden it becomes pretty easy to start taking advantage of cultural phenomena and interpreting them in terms of say critical race theory or whatever else so three big things that popped up when barack obama was elected president sadly many people responded with some racism uh and that's the core thesis of critical race theory later you have the black lives matter movement kind of launch into the scene in 2014 and 15 after after the ferguson shooting Uh, and there you have uh again mainstreaming this idea that there's a secretly racist now police force. And then when President Trump ran for office, it was racist, 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 racist. And they used critical race theory to say only a racist America could elect uh, Donald Trump. And they used that narrative very, very effectively to drive people crazy and to believe that America was secretly racist. And critical race theory becomes the tool. So that's two out of the three components. And the third is the ESG, which is how they manipulated corporations into backing this, promoting it, And making it look like they were responding to market demands when, in fact, their bottom line at the level of the valuation of their stocks or the the ability to participate in being a publicly traded company depends on compliance with that S. And that's ultimately how we got here.
2: What is elusive, at least to me, the incipient point this began, uh, it's a perfect storm. But I am curious, this doesn't look like a natural storm of any form. Uh, This is not spontaneous. Uh, this is a seeded cloud that's been unleashed, whether it's ESG and environmental social governance, uh, two areas, by the way, which most corporations have the least to do with on their uh, checklist of uh, stakeholders. It's it's remarkable that this, this confluence of ESG, corporate social responsibility before that, of course, uh, now we have sustainability at all costs. And instead of looking to the Chamber of Commerce, and the business roundtable, which they do quite enough of corporate America is now looking to the United Nations for a guideposts and values. Most Americans are completely and utterly unaware of what is happening.
1: That's right. They're also looking to the World Economic Forum and the International Monetary Fund, which right. are funneling these bags of cash to back these things. Now, as far as where this all kind of began, I think there's a combination between organic and inorganic elements to it. I think it began with, with neo-Marxists who are actually communists that were operating in the 1960s. And you can read that explicitly and say Herbert Marcuse's very influential writings from the 1960s, where right. he says, we have to find the radicalizable student population, and we have to get the ghetto population. That was his words for uh, the black radicals. And we have to figure out how to make them into, he said, the new working class, meaning in the Marxian sense, the new radicalizable revolutionary class to overthrow society, because he said the working class has been stabilized. He actually admitted capitalism works. It's making a prosperous society, but we could have a so much better society if we would overthrow it. And we have to look for that revolutionary energy, he said. And so that's really where the seeds of this were laid. And then what you see, whether it's through you know corporate social responsibility or, or whatever else, is you see this 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 ideology slowly colonizing other bureaucratic forms. It turns out that a lot of the uh, program of, of social equity, for example, which is of course their brand name they operate under, but a lot of it came out of directly the field of public administration on the back of. Um, of a book called The Administrative State. So this whole idea that you're going to colonize things that happen bureaucratically and turn them in this direction has been part of a a kind of long march through the institution's plan that has found what's been advantageous to it and colonized it and turned it into this. The biggest example of that in schools would be social-emotional learning, which started out as a way to deal with troubled kids and turned into a Maoist education program masquerading as a way to deal
2: with troubled kids. And how pervasive is uh, all of that in uh, in our schools, our public schools?
1: It's virtually ubiquitous. It's It's the leading edge of so-called educational theory these days. It's in virtually all of the schools. You pick a state like North Carolina, which is kind of famously purple, and they've even passed legislation in the state of North Carolina to make it so that teachers who are engaging in social emotional learning cannot be held responsible for the fact that what it entails is doing uh, unlicensed psychological therapy in an unregulated environment on children and so this is this is deep it's virtually ubiquitous it is the hot thing that's everywhere but again it's this is the key thing where it feels like this has all been seeded it has been seeded but it was seeded through kind of a parasitic action, a thing called social emotional learning that helped troubled kids got colonized a number of years ago, turned into transformative SEL, as they call it, and got turned into something different. And this is why, whether that was with the corporate uh, social governance, responsibility in governance policies or projects, all of these things that were noble efforts to try to improve the environment in which Americans and other Westerners worked were colonized by neo Marxist ideas and basically taken over from within. And they're now everywhere. Virtually all of our institutions have been flipped over into this. And the behavior you see from, say, the Democratic Party reflects that, that they think that they now have enough control over all institutions to do whatever they want without having to worry about accountability.
2: And we see expressions, explosions, if you will, of the presence of all that you're talking about, for, for example, in Loudoun County in Virginia, uh, all of the headlines that are being driven around the, the country, uh, some awareness of that. And at the same time, uh, we are looking at the, the role of school boards suddenly being attacked. I, Suddenly, we get an idea of what's going on. There is an effort to transform this country from public education to state education. Uh, Parents are no longer considered. Parents are citizens. They are simply, uh, you know, uh, hold the hands of those children and put them to bed at night the state will take care of the rest in the minds of these school teacher unions uh, these uh, these uh, lame uh, front organizations like the school board uh, advisory association that's been created to be nothing more than a handmaiden to the efforts of the national education association and the federated teachers the two biggest unions in uh, teachers unions in the country and a mighty powerful political forces yeah, that, that, that's absolutely correct. Um, the, the A lot
1: of people don't know that literally the first, by the way, diversity manual that was ever written was at American University in 1973. And this manual was actually commissioned, paid for and distributed by the NEA back in the 1970s. So they've actually, and this is an explicitly, you think, you know, Robin DiAngelo last year or, or the year before with White Fragility came out and then it's all, you know, there's no neutral you're either racist or anti-racist you know whiteness has to be reduced this was all written in the 1970s under the direction of the NEA the teachers unions have been at the mm-hmm. bottom of driving a lot of this very radical change to our country for a very long time and you're also correct that it's a transformation to a state education they no longer want to think in terms of american citizens who have rights as americans the new buzzword that you hear again and again and again especially from the education activists is global citizen which of course is preposterous there's no such thing as a global citizen because there is no such thing and should not be such a thing as a global sovereign to which you can be uh, subject as a citizen and so This is the new mentality that they're trying to bring in through the school system. But when you look at the indoctrination program that's being run through our schools already, all the way K through PhD, not K through 12, all the way through the top, you look at the indoctrination program that you already have going on and they're saying, oh, well, we're going to bring that down to three and four year olds now, too. Uh, we're going to start even earlier. You can really start to get a taste of what they're trying to do. They think they own your children. They think that it's their right to make them into global communist citizens and to indoctrinate them with the relevant, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's queer and gender theory, whether it's climate justice, whether it's health equity, whatever these kind of buzzwords around all of this happen to be, it's all the same thing. Equity means socialism, justice means communism, and that's what they're trying to indoctrinate from the very beginning. I was
2: shocked to see what happened over the last few years, the pace at which these corporations moved. It moved at a pace I did, I did not imagine they could in expanding the power of their HR departments, human resources departments, the old personnel departments. They're now political offices within the corporations. Uh, they have corporations have, of course, their public affairs offices in Washington D.C. to lobby. They have HR departments to manage uh, politics and the standards of the day, uh, whether it's uh, you know whether it's uh, ESG, whether it is uh, corporate uh, responsibility. Uh, these these corporations have taken a turn that is definitive, and I think uh, right now you would have to say that. Corporate America is left-wing in its behavior. Uh, Your thoughts?
1: I I think that you're obviously correct, and I think most people who are starting to wake up to what's going on around can see that. There are two primary components for why that is, and one of them is the ESG game. The other is that we have very bad jurisprudence that is followed from the Civil Rights Acts that is increasingly bent toward the disparate impact that different racial groups, for example, or or identity groups have different outcomes on average by group, not at the level of individuals, that disparate impact can be taken as evidence of discrimination. And that's if you've read where Ibram X. Kendi, the critical race theorist, says that the solution to inequality is to pass an anti-racist constitutional amendment. One of the two things he says that amendment should be Fundamentally based on is the idea that differences in outcomes should be proof of discrimination. So this is the situation that we find ourselves in until that, until the court rules that disparate impact is not enough to have proof of discrimination.
2: We're going to find ourselves caught in this trap as well. On the side of uh, academia, uh, we're watching now a number of universities, a number, some 121. The last report I saw that have dropped their requirement for the ACT test or the SAT test uh, or both uh, because they believe it is somehow uh, racially discriminatory uh, and puts minorities at a disadvantage and are literally moving away from uh, objective testing uh, of knowledge. Uh, It's a a deeply troubling uh, uh, moment in higher education uh, of all places.
1: Yeah, that's actually a move. This has been done in the past. Uh, Mao Zedong did this in China during his cultural revolution, because what it allows when you remove objective standards, obviously, just to be clear, that's not the case in China now. They have extremely rigorous testing. Right. They brought that back when after the party sees power, because if you get rid of objective testing and objective standards for getting in, everything becomes subjective. So now your diversity, equity and inclusion or personal personal struggle statement or whatever it is that you're supposed to submit, that reveals your politics, that, reveals, that that tells whether or not you're going to be a compliant party operative or not, becomes uh, at least higher, if not the highest ranked idea or item that brings you into uh, being admitted into the university. So that only party operatives are even getting in and only party operatives are getting out after they've been more thoroughly brought into um, party politics. This isn't new. This isn't new to the world. Mao did this in China, used it to affect parts of the Cultural Revolution, ruined China utterly as a result, and then later realized, oh, well, we need to bring standardized testing back. This is very much like how the Soviet Union thought that physics was a bourgeois Western project up until the West got the nuclear bomb. And then all of a sudden, physics was very important for communism, too. Uh, This is the kind of mistake, if you want to call it a mistake, that they make over and over and over and over again in uh, these kind of broadly Hegelian Marxist kind of programs is let's let's make everything subjective until it's a catastrophe and then we'll go back to objective standards at the pleasure of the party.
2: It's difficult to imagine a country that has reached this point, having the energy and the drive uh, to to reverse course. What is your sense of the immediate future? The immediate future, I think, is going to be rocky. I have a very much more
1: optimistic view than I did, say, in January. Um, the truth is that people up to this point – have not realized what's at stake, but I'm actually as I travel around the country from city to city and talk to people all over the all over the nation, I find out more and more and more that people are very rapidly waking up. What I see on the internet reflects this. I see the the Biden administration try to put out a new narrative: "Oh, we're going to do this gender ideology thing, or we're going to do this feminism thing, global feminism thing, or whatever it happens to be pronouns day from the State Department, or you know whatever it is." And I see these new narrative shifts not sticking very well. And I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that, yes, it actually could happen here. And their complacency is falling away as they start to realize it. What I believe is the case is that they needed both top down, which they have in the Biden administration right now and in many state governments, but they also needed the bottom up support And because when you press down without having support from the bottom, the bricks just fall out the bottom. And I think that's actually where we are. They're dropping bricks out of the bottom of their their plan as fast as possible. We call this red pilling on the internet these days. They're red pilling people left, right, and center. And I genuinely mean that on the left as well. If you look at Virginia, you see what's happening with the scandals in education. So I think what's going to happen is that we have to understand that this this regime, the the Biden administration knows that it has crossed Rubicon. It knows that it has it is pushing something extraordinarily unpopular. It's going to become more and more unpopular. So it only has a few options available to it. But the main thing is that whatever direction it goes is going to continue to double down. What happens at the end of this, I can't tell you, but I think they're going to continue to try to force these Uh, Whether it's vaccine mandates and passports, whether it's going to be climate mandates or passports or whatever else, I think they're going to try to force this on people and force this on people for a while. And then I don't know what happens after that, because people I don't think in the American Republic are going to take it uh, much longer. They realize now what's at stake. They realize when Alexander Solzhenitsyn warned, we didn't love freedom enough, so we deserved everything that followed after that they are in that story, and that it, they are going to have to love freedom enough to, to do something about it. What
2: can uh, everyone do, in your judgment, to help uh, to help reverse this tide? Well, the, the shortest
1: answer is to not participate. They this requires a little bit of discernment. You have to kind of be able to tell when you're being fed the narrative and when something might be legitimate. But I would advise everybody be very suspicious of the narrative and then to try to predict, why are they telling us this and what do they want us to do? And then don't do that. Uh, It's very important to civilly resist to say, no, I'm not going to participate in these systems of lies. Now, if you want to do more than that, it depends on your temperament and your talents. One of the things people can do is if they are inclined, they can work on that discernment part. They can learn more about the ideology. They can learn more about ESG, for example, with the corporate world. They can learn more about DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and the critical race theory. The regime does not like transparency. They cannot stand sunlight. It embarrasses them. It stymies their plans. People won't go along with it. The the one thing they can't stand is people outing them for what they're doing, and then uh, standing up and saying no as a result. And we still have the power to do that. We still have the power to speak up. They're trying to close those doors on us, but they haven't. Now, maybe gaining that, studying some specific subject like that and speaking up isn't your path. Well, then you should fall into whatever kind of support role that you can fall into. Maybe it's that you're going to help build community around in your neighborhood. You're going you're gonna to get people together to talk about the issues. You're going to bring people together To talk about what this nation means and where we want it to go. To start re-knitting the fabric of America from the grassroots is something anybody can do. And I'm not, when I say support, I mean, you can also find people who are speaking up about this and you can back their program, whether it's sharing their materials, you know, donating to their causes, whatever. Those are things that you can do if you don't want to take it on, but you can also just do your part to bring your local, ne- your, your local neighborhood together and to get people to where they're starting to talk about this. Because it turns out that that is much more effective. If you look back all through the 20th century, how do you fight communism? How do you fight communism? This is what they say over and over and over again. And it stayed communism out of the United States and out of the West for the majority of the century. All you have to do is be very discerning and very clear and to make strong, stable communities so that uh, they can't, encroach on your values and knock you off of your base.
2: One of the points I insist on, on the podcast is to make it possible for people to understand how important community engagement really is of all the political races in the country. Of course, the presidency remains the most important, but every citizen in this country has greater power over their local communities and their, and their city and townships, and they have to be engaged one citizen can make so much difference in such a quick, quick amount of time. Uh, citizenship is to be taken seriously in this country. And well, unfortunately, uh, too many of us have stepped back from that responsibility. Uh, I want to say to you, uh, James Lindsay, I really appreciate your being with us. Uh, a fascinating discussion. And, uh, and and James Lindsay, by the way, uh, is modest enough not to have mentioned his Uh, podcast, which is one of the places where you can go to to learn more about each one of these critically important issues, these cynical theories, as he styles them in his new book. And uh, we're just delighted to have you with us. Hope you'll come back soon. We appreciate everything you're doing. Dr. James Lindsay. Thank you so much, Lou. Join us again tomorrow for the Great
1: America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds. Save on Cox internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, go! You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability
2: as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.